Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves, and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow, and this is the Goop Podcast, where we bring together visionaries, scientists, healers, artists, and seekers. I'm so grateful that I get to interview these extraordinary thought leaders and share their wisdom with you. And I love listening to the conversations that are led by my co-host and dear friend, Cleo Wade. Cleo is a beautiful poet and author. I deeply admire her and the way she keeps her heart open to the world. Together, we believe that engaging in open-minded, honest, and sometimes difficult conversations has the power to change our lives. All right, over to Cleo. Today's guest is my friend, Simone Sanders. Simone is an author, a seasoned Democratic strategist, and the host of the MSNBC show called Simone which airs at 4 p.m. Eastern on Saturdays and Sundays. Simone joins me today to talk about her path to becoming the youngest presidential press secretary on record and what it's like to work in a high-pressure industry at such a young age. We also talked about how she takes care of herself while processing the news and her hope and advice for young people looking to make a positive impact in their communities and in the world. Okay, let's get to Simone Sanders. Okay, Simone Sanders, I'm so happy to have you on the Goop podcast. I want to talk about so many things because something I have really focused on since joining the Goop podcast is people who have had really unique journeys to get to where they have gotten to in such an incredible, high-achieving, singular way. And you are certainly one of those people. So I'm honored that you've taken the time to sit with us. I know you're so busy, especially in today's world. But I want to talk to you about a few things. First, I want to start off by saying congratulations on your show, Simone, which is on Saturdays and Sundays on MSNBC. Yes, 4 p.m. Eastern. Check us out. 4 p.m. Eastern. And, you know, our friend DeRay always says that activism of any kind requires many on-ramps and entry points. And it's really cool because my mom is one of those people who hates the news. And by the way, for every household, there's a person who like would can watch the news all day long. Like fine, Simon can just have it going and going and going. But in my mom's house, her husband has it going and going and going. So she's anti any type of news, except she loves you so much. So I I actually love your mom. Shout you out because my mom would be completely uninformed if it weren't for you. (laughs) Well, thank you. You know, I mean, that is, that is the best compliment because when we set out to do the show, one of the things I wanted to make sure that we did was make, make it accessible. You know, there's so much happening. Everything's very complicated and you should be able to turn on our show Saturday or Sunday and understand exactly what actually happened last week. What is going on? in the world as it relates to politics, but also healthcare or, you know, pop culture. 
and you should be able to turn on the show on Sunday and even get a little sneak peek about what's going to happen next week. So shout out to your mom. What (laughs) for being the demo. Thank you. Yes. Can you talk to me about, you know, so for many of you who, if you, if you may know Simone's work now on television, you may not have known kind of the path of how she got there. And she was the youngest presidential press secretary in history, right? (laughs) That's what they say. Yes. And so I, I want to talk a little bit about your path of how you, I guess, made your way into politics and why being on TV to kind of make the news and and kind of the understanding and, and, and the importance of getting involved in politics more accessible to people in America. So for a long time, I like I cut my teeth in in campaigns. That's what I used to do. I'm from, as you know, North Omaha, Nebraska. Go Big Red. Go Huskers. We'll 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 get it together sometime. <laughs> but like I didn't come from a political family, Cleo. You know, like we we I was not. Uh, you know, my mom took us to vote, and my parents they went to vote, but they were not going to conventions and deeply involved in local politics themselves. But they were very involved. My mom especially was very involved in the community. So one of the internships I got when I was in college, and I went to college in Nebraska, I went to Creighton, was at the mayor's office. And the day that I, I was a communications intern, and the day that I went to work for the mayor, there was a recall campaign that was started against the mayor. It was crazy. So I go in the office and they're like, mm, mayor, <laughs> there's a recall campaign. So I went to go volunteer on the mayor's effort to beat the recall in addition to my internship. And that's where I met these two guys. And Chris and Robert had a consulting firm. They're from Tennessee. It was a Black-owned consulting, political consulting firm. And they were brought in to help organize North and South Omaha, which are the predominantly African-American and Latino parts of the city. And so I did anything they needed me to do. If they needed a venue, I helped them get a venue. And they let me continue to work with them after this you know, recall campaign effort was over. So I got a lot of my initial political experience while I was in school working judges races. I did mayoral races. I didn't even know that judges were elected until I started working with this firm because in Nebraska, judges are appointed. I did stuff on reservations. I did stuff on state legislative races. I went with them when they did candidate analysis. um, But how do you think, what do you think like created the gravitational pull towards this work because so many of us like either mimic or like move away from things that are inside of our house so do you feel that you were kind of like continuing the like work ethics your parents had but towards something that piqued your interest or do you feel that like maybe the lack of the kind of you know like political sphere was like, just made you, was, were you rebelling and and it just made it more interesting or I don't know. (laughs) Was my, you know, for a long time, I thought my dad was a Republican. Come to find out he was an independent voter. Oh my God. (laughs) Right. He did watch Fox Fox News and uh, he read a lot of Breitbart. So we had the range in the house. Wow. I don't think I was rebelling. I really think my interest in politics, particularly communication is, you know, communicate, Campaigns are only just a bunch of people. They have sat around a table and decided that this is how we want to communicate the message of our candidate, right? So for Bernie Sanders, the underpinning of his message was, we lived in a rigged economy kept in place by a system of corrupt campaign finance. That's what Bernie Sanders believed. And so what are all the different ways that we can communicate that via fundraising, on television? What kind of literature do we put together to go and knock doors with? But the people in the room come up with the the message, the underpinning of the message, and then they organize around that message. Well, oftentimes the people that put the message together, well, one, I would look at things and I would say, why is it like this? Or why wouldn't they do that? This doesn't make any sense. And then when I figured out that the people that put the message together, they often didn't look like me. They were not young people. At the time, they were not women. And they definitely weren't bald black girls from North Omaha, Nebraska. So that's what drew me towards it. Just the ability to, the people that make the message are the people actually with the most power. And I always want to be a powerful person. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. 
It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. I think you were born a powerful person. And I'd say you're a talker. <laughs> you were like, where is my megaphone? Because I have something to say. What was it like growing up in Nebraska, though? Because, you know, it's really interesting because you being in New York City makes a lot of sense. You being in D.C. makes a lot of sense. You being in L.A. makes a lot of sense. You have this really, really incredibly big and fun personality. And it's not just because you have this kind of fabulous fashion and you're so like gorgeous every time you walk in the room. But even when you are like, cause I have been to a restaurant with you and you're like basically in pajamas, but with some like shawl <laughs> over you, it's very gray gardens, but everyone in the room seems to kind of notice or feel your energy or your, you know, presence in the room. And so what was it like being in Nebraska? Cause I, I know that's something you, you didn't, you know, learn at 25. Like that no, is something it, I think must have always, and your mom has it too, by the way. So yeah, my I think my mother has a bunch of, my mother is a serial entrepreneur for folks out there, Terry Sanders, Madre, as we like to call her, Madre, Madre, Madre is the person that told me you always have to be willing to throw a party for yourself if no one else is going to throw a party for you. And I really think when she told me that I took it to heart. Yes, <laughs> I Madre. took it to heart. So yes. I think that's really where it is. I mean, I talk a lot about, and I have learned throughout my entire career, and it's really helped me in what I do now with the show and working at MSNBC, like I'm very comfortable with who I am. And I think growing up, I, who I, just being myself was reinforced every single day. I went to an all girls Catholic high school, Mercy, in Omaha. And, you know, at Mercy, I was on student council. I was the cheerleading captain. Like I... I was very engaged and involved. Like we, I did the school trips. We did the abroad things. I was just constantly reinforced that, first of all, you have to participate. If there are things that are happening, participation is very important. Your participation will change things. And two, like we want to hear what you have to say. And it took me a while from, I didn't really realize until a couple of years ago that that foundation of all constantly being reinforced that my voice mattered, that I had something to say, that my perspective was important is what gives me the confidence to lean into myself, for lack of a better term now. So, yeah. You know, I think that's such a powerful message to people who often feel they are too much so that there's no place for them. Mm-hmm. And in that you can say, if you feel like you're too much, you are perhaps not in the right place because you need to be creating the place for yourself that part that you know you're trying to put yourself in shoes that don't fit in a world that is not suited to you so you have to kind of break it apart and like create your own path yeah and you have to have people that are also that believe in you that support you like that are allies on your journey because to be honest when I you know Cleo I didn't have agents for a long time Mm -hmm. when I was a political commentator in between doing campaigns and when i I remember I talked to a bunch of agents and one person told me that I was not palatable enough for cable television. You know, that I did not sound like what people were used to hearing when they turned on the TV. So I needed voice lessons. Well, I'm very happy I did not listen to that agent because I am just fine. But folks were not used to seeing or hearing people that look like me delivering them the news, right? Giving them the facts, helping them unpack and understand things. And I'm just very grateful for folks like Rashida Jones, who's the president of MSNBC, because, you know, she thought my voice was important. And Rashida is why I have a show. And it's also such a testament to your mother being a serial entrepreneur by saying, like, you know, if you don't see yourself in the market, create a market for yourself. Literally. And that's really important. And I feel like 
you and I have always bonded on that a lot over the years because there was no one doing what you were doing in your way when you came on the scene. And there was certainly no one really buying poetry in a meaningful way or being able to turn, you know, poetry books into political activism or movements or, or things in that kind of modern, in, in our modern, modern times. And so I always feel really lucky that we met when we met because, you know, I think we were both two people who were young and making and creating a space and a market for ourselves. And it, and you're, you, it also goes to show that the more you do that and the more focused you are on that path, even if how you get the opportunities may look different or they may, the path may take three times as long so that you can maintain your own integrity. It makes a difference. You know, cause like perhaps you could have gotten whatever that goal during that year, when you met with that agent, perhaps you could have gotten there like in that year, had you changed your voice or changed your body or changed your hair or changed your whatever else they were saying, all these things that are fundamental to who you are. Maybe you could have reached that goal, but you wouldn't have known who you were when you got there. Mm. And then how are you then supposed to scale that goal into your greater dream? Because like you, the the single goal of a year is not your whole dream. Just like one achievement is not your whole life. See, this is why you write the poetry, Cleo, because you connect <laughs> the dots for the people. Yes. I mean, and, and, and the point that you made about everyone, like each, both of us, we each helped kind of create our own lane. I also think it's a testament to this generation of young people. You know, we are millennials. I think that we grew up being told that we could do whatever we want to do for, you know, for lack of a better term. That also meant that we also grew up looking for things instantly, but we grew up being told that if you dream it, if you think big, you can do it. And I I am just fortunate to have had that instilled in me and been a part of that generation that truly does believe that literally if you dream it up and you work hard at it, you absolutely can do it. You have to be able to execute when you get with the thing that you want, but it is absolutely possible. How do you find that you're able to kind of go up against that kind of like old guard powers that be that are still woven, you know, because the thing about like news and politics is that there are these really ancient at this point in our young ancient history of this country and this and our political world, they are these, they're really staunch institutions though. And so what is it like where it's like for every person you have that, that is this incredible advocate like Rashida you know, what is it like when you're weaving in, in whether it's in your speaking or in politics or in the news culture where you're bumping up against this like old guard who's kind of, I think, creates their own importance by invalidating others, you know, and that's how they held, hold their place is that like, as long as everyone else is insecure, then they have security in their position. And so that is part of like how they maintain power. So are there like things you say to yourself or are there ways you kind of like prep your, your mind or like, you know, what's the mindset you have knowing that there is no version of your day where you don't have to bump into that? You know, when, when I was growing up, I used to pretend to be a newscaster. I I don't know why. Um, I was Donna Burns. Okay. I don't know about the necklace. Yes. Oh yeah. I have a, I'm not wearing it today, but I have a necklace that literally says Donna Burns on it. And people are like, who is that? And I'm like, oh. Donna Burns is my was my media personality at the age of eight. I don't know uh, what outlet Donna Burns worked for. I don't know if she was an anchor or a correspondent or if she was a weather girl. But I used to <laughs> pretend to be Donna Burns. So I would be, this is Donna Burns reporting live and da 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 da. And I would talk in my TV news voice. Hold on, I have to just have one pause in here because one day I'm in DC. <laughs> Simone is giving me a ride in her car somewhere, and the name of her phone is Donna Burns. Now you've told everyone, Cleo, I got to change the name. And now they so don't know it's me when I'm they in, I'm in the car and it's like playing a song from Donna Burns. And I was like, whose phone is this? Whose car is this? Like, I was so confused. And I was like, oh my God. But yes, Donna now Burns. everyone in the Goop community knows that if, Donna Burns shows up on your airdrop in the airport. You can send Simone a message. It is me, folks. I'm, <laughs> now I have to change it. Me, Donna Burns 2.0. Well, <laughs> when I got, when I came on at MSNBC and we were developing the show, I had told, I think, the story about Donna Burns a couple of times. And folks were like, I love that. But 
we want Simone. And I have to constantly remind myself that, and you know, some days Donna Burns does need to pop up. You know, we have a lot of, we are in the midst of a very heavy news cycle, right? There is a war happening uh, in the Middle East. There is uncertainty and turmoil across the globe here at home, another war happening in Ukraine. And I have had a number of breaking news instances in a weekend where I have to throw out what we thought we were gonna do because we have to cover the breaking news. And when we cover the breaking news, I am there to give you the facts on what is happening uh, because I know when things are happening, people go to their televisions and they turn it on. And I, I want them to keep the channel on MSNBC, especially when I'm on, because they will know that I too I'm going to give them the facts. And so Donna Burns shows up in some moments. She's had to show up a lot of times over the last uh, couple of weeks and months. But I remind myself that I need to be Simone. Yes. And it's almost like Donna Burns is the acorn, but Simone Sanders is the oak tree. Yes. You know? yes. I've been wondering a lot about you over the past you know, week or, or two covering this news that has been so difficult for so many of us to process and have conversations about or dialogue on. And, and I, and I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't necessarily want to get into the particulars of it, but I'm wondering how are you giving yourself kind of care during this time to be, you know, it's interesting. I was just talking to someone who runs an organization that gets basic needs to, to children. And she was saying, she's like, Oh, you know, I just can't, I, I haven't been able to look cause I just feel like sick and I'm tired and, and it, it's, I'm so stressed and the violence is giving me such anxiety and I can't sleep. And it's like, well, at some point your ability to give yourself the care to not look or have the right boundaries that you need for your life in this moment is critical because who's going to help these kids that you help all over the world tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I think about you a lot in that because you know, you don't like when, you know, when people are saying like, you've got to see this, or you've got to do this, or you've got to, you know, and whether it's my friends like you or our close friends who work in the administration who are sick at work from the violence that they are, you know, having to watch and know for their job. I wonder how you're able to care for yourself and find the right balance so that you can still get up in the morning and do this or is there something that you kind of train in your body to say like, wow, I just like, I grow, I'm like stronger. Or are you having a cry in the middle of the day behind your desk? Like, how do you do that? It, you know, Cleo, it is, it's so crazy on the weekend after they found the, the alleged shooter in Maine, uh, we did a story on the show that Saturday where we didn't talk about the shooter. I wanted to talk about the victims. There were 18 people that were killed in Lewiston, Maine, and they were at a bar or they were at a a bowling alley. One of the gentlemen who was killed, I had his brother on. And so in the lead up to having his brother on in the intro, I said the names of some of the people who had died and talked about what they were doing in their lives and who they were. And I had read the script like five times before that. And it was fine. Like I edited it and everything. I started reading it on television and I just started crying. I truly, I was, I, I was crying and I'm like, I need to keep reading because I got to get to Ralph. And I get to Ralph, who is the gentleman's name. And I said, Ralph, I'm so sorry that I got emotional, but it's just so sad. People were just living their lives. And we've been talking a lot about the shooter, but I, I want to talk about these people who deserve to live. So tell me about your brother. And we had this beautiful conversation about his brother and his brother's niece who just celebrated her second birthday and the memory of his brother and what he wants and feels for the community. And while I'm not happy that I cried on national television, I am happy that I allowed myself to, to, to feel that. And those kind of things are therapeutic for me, but I also, I, I do step back and step away. You know, I don't, I don't think it's healthy for people to, 24 hours a day, seven days a week to constantly be in the middle of it. So for people that say, oh, I need a break, like I completely understand. And we here at, you know, MSNBC and NBC, we are, there is an environment that acknowledges that this is very hard, but we're also doing very important work. So while we have to cover the story, we also have to take care of ourselves. Yeah. You know, one of my great kind of hopes is that in ways we've kind of returned more to like the traditional way. And, and and though the, obviously the news cycle has become a 24 hour news cycle over the past, you know, 25 years or so, but, you know, 
I was just having this conversation about how I was like, you know what? Like I recently got like my hard copies of the New Yorker and the Atlantic back coming to the house instead of just the digital versions. And I was like, you know, I actually just want to like watch the news and kind of just see it there. And I don't want to live in the scroll of the news. Like, I just don't know that my, that our collective brains are ready for a constant, constant flow, especially because even on Instagram, things are no longer on a timeline. So you're getting this constant scroll and, and then it'll be like from four days ago. And it's still Very just like atro- atrocious or horrible or like, you know, and it's, it's just not, I, I just don't think it's something we can handle or I, I know I can't. And so I think it's really interesting because what, what I hope or what I think is that there might be this kind of return to watching the news. Cause I think at some point we were all kind of burnt out from like, once the news became like the scroll of Instagram or, or the scroll of Instagram mimicked the news by being 24 hours a day, we were like, I can't even turn it on. And now I think we might be more intentional in saying like, okay, I'm going to go watch Simone's show on Saturday and Sunday, or I'm going to go watch. This is the one person I'm going to watch, you know, Abby when her show comes on on CNN and just have people who I feel like hearing from. And then I can turn it off when the program is over because it's telling me it's over. Whereas on Instagram, it's never over the scroll. And there's no, there, remember even there used to be some point of Instagram where it would be like, you are up to date or something. (laughs) You're never up to date now. There's no up to date. And I think that's really difficult. You know, at this point you make about folks, I, I hear that often. And I'm so grateful to when I'm out and about and folks are like, oh, I watch your show. And I'm like, thank you for watching. Or when I, we just recently saw our friend Dr. her mom, she's like, I came out I because I wanted to say hi. I only see you on the TV. And oh. it's just, it's super special when people that know me watch because I'm like, y'all know me and you do not have to watch. But also the people that do not know me because, and who say, I feel really informed after watching the show or I did not know that. And I fully understand that we live in a day and age where people are picking and choosing how they want to consume the news. You know, we try to also make sure we have a robust digital strategy, not just on the endless scroll of Instagram or even the TikTok, but YouTube. There are a lot of people who can't even bear to turn, who don't don't even have cable to turn on the TV, but they want to watch YouTube. And so I try to curate things so that the folks can still get the news, get the information from me in all the spaces and places. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. When it comes to putting together your home, a great rug can make all the difference. A rug is really what pulls a room together and creates harmony. Nordic Knots offers a curated collection of rugs and timeless high quality essentials. They collaborate with leading designers and are the insider rug brand gracing some of the world's most beautiful homes. They have a wide-ranging collection, but we'll just talk about a few favorites today. The luxurious Grand Collection is known for its simple design, stunning colors, and high-quality wool. But if you're feeling a bit more bold, their designer collaborations are made with world-renowned designers and interior architects. Their Goodweave certified rugs are handmade and woven in all natural materials, like their super soft and beautiful New Zealand wool. At Nordic Knots, they make the process of rug shopping easy and enjoyable. And they always offer fast and free shipping from the US. To explore their rug collections, head to nordicknots.com. Use promo code INNERCIRCLE to get free rug samples. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. What do you kind of hope for? Like, you know, I, cause I know because you have this kind of entrepreneurial mindset, like what do you see in this kind of traditional format of news and hope that we can evolve change or you can bring to, cause I, I mean, I feel like I watched you so closely do that with Bernie's campaign and with the president's campaign and with the vice president's office, you know, you something you always push for is like, what can be pushed for? Mm -hmm. And so I wonder, I've never asked you that about what you feel about the news. I feel, well, first of all, I feel, you know, a lot of people say, oh, folks aren't watching the news anymore. And the reality is when something is happening in the world, when something is happening in your community, something big is going on, you turn, you go to the television and you turn it on because you believe the news is going to tell you what is happening. And I don't think that is changing anytime soon. 
And so because of that, I think that having a, we call it linear, that's what it is when you're on television, on cable, having a linear presence that is also responsive to people and to trends, like expanding what, what we say is the news is very important. And so we try to do that on our show where, you know, Cleo launching a book and going on this book tour is news. So is Malcolm X becoming an opera, being turned into an award-winning opera that has launched in Detroit and has gone all over the country and now is premiering at the, the, the Met. But also what is what the president, the trip that the president took to Israel is news. The fact that the vice president and the second gentleman are going to London to talk AI is news. So I, I think the news has to be responsive to the people that we see on, on television. But also you have to understand that, as we just discussed, people are picking and choosing how they want to consume that kind of content. And so I think the, the, the future, and it's what we're doing here now, frankly, is making sure that you are having a presence that is organic to all of those spaces and places. And so what we do on TikTok I do a thing on TikTok every week for our show's TikTok that no one sees anywhere else unless they're on TikTok or our Instagram. We reshare it. But it's just, I tell, I tell folks about something that happened in the news that didn't make it to television, right? But that is newsy, but lots of other things are going on. So uh, it's something that people are getting. And for folks who are consuming our information on TikTok, they are seeing that. And so making sure that you are as authentic and as organic to the platform as possible. I think that's going to be an important part of the future of this business, but people still want to turn on the TV. Yeah, they do. And, you know, I know that also in a world where like, you can't trust how quickly things are being reported on Instagram and the self-reporting and all this stuff, which, or, or Twitter, which has its, you know, benefits and it's kind of, downfalls in the sense of like, you know, if it weren't for Twitter, we would have, you know, never really known what was happening in Ferguson. And there's so much that we wouldn't know about so many oppressed communities where there's not access to traditional forms of media. While on the other hand, in that there have been these like built personalities that report certain things that are like completely untrue or completely you know, it's kind of turned into such a wild, wild west. And there's so much happening there that to me, I have found that turning the news on, whereas it's weird because 10 years ago, I would have been like, turning the news on makes me feel crazy. (laughs) And now I'm like, turning the news on makes me feel like I can get what I need to get with a beginning and an end. And not like standards, right? Because there are rules you have to abide by because we take this and frankly, every organization should should feel this way that reports the news, but we know that they don't. But I'm grateful to be at a place that does. You know, they're just, so when breaking news happens, there's oftentimes where you'll have guests on, things are breaking, and there's somebody in my ear saying, well, this is what we know. Look at your email. I have, this is what we can report. And then the guests will say something that we don't know, that is not sure. They start speculating. Well, we can't speculate in a breaking news situation. Donna Barnes got to come in and say, well, NBC News has not reported that. NBC News has not, that is speculative. Like we have to make sure we correct that because again, people are turning on the television and especially in those moments, looking for the, the, the information. They want to know what happened. They want to get the facts and then they want to go. Well, and it's like, you know, I think that this like kind of n- never ending clickbait thing is also really like, just jar it's just I think it's just gotten overwhelming and hard this online kind of like just click it just just anything to just keep you going you've got to see this you got like you know we're upping the ante constantly on violent visuals on like the deepest darkest personal you know stories of people's lives or celebrities this or that and and all of it is for the most part like speculation And that's really hard. And so, you know, you're like when everyone's online saying like this and this, and did you see this? Or like someone will like truly send you something and be like, you need to learn more about this. Have you read this article? And it's an op-ed. And you're like, you cannot send me an op-ed. Like this is an opinion piece as a way to inform me on something. You could send me an op-ed and say, I 
love this point of view on this, would love to share it with you. But like, that is not an educational resource. Like that is like, you cannot send something that is not an actual news article to inform someone on something. You know, that's why what I get to do right now, I get to decide the conversation is going to be had. And then I get to facilitate the conversation, abiding by all these rules and standards and whatnot. And I, I think especially nowadays, it is just so important the misinformation and the disinformation is real. And people are taking what they see online in spaces and places and repeating it as though it is fact. Yeah. And so I I feel like I feel an immense level of responsibility that when I am not even just when I'm sitting in the anchor chair, you know, when I'm if when I'm out and about, when I'm on panels or whatnot, when I'm on my you know, TikTok or my Instagram, if I'm speaking about anything that is happening, I want to make sure that I am being actual and factual because i know that there are people out there listening who will take what i say and repeat it as fact and and i want to make sure that i'm giving them the facts and unfortunately across the board in the media apparatus everyone does not you know have that level of standard but um, i'm glad that more often than not folks do and especially in what i do right now what do you think people can do or or approach others when they are trying to foster kind of a healthy connection on disagreeing opinions or points of view. I mean, you're someone who will sit in between a Republican and a Democrat or someone who's, you know, like on a complete and utter opposite sides of the spectrum uh, on any given topic. How do you kind of, I think, not just facilitate that or foster an ability for everyone to be respectful and show up in the space, like in a way that they come correct. How do you do that in your personal life and, and in your professional life? I feel like it's, it's the same. It's similar in media and frankly, it's similar in politics and it's similar in my personal life. I think that in general, we have to, instead of getting to a place where someone is right or where they we need to get to a place of understanding because if I deeply believe X and you Cleo deeply believe Y, I am not going to change your Y belief if it is a deeply held actual belief to X. And yeah. so instead of the goal of the conversation being to change your mind, I approach all of the conversations, whether, and, and this is what I used to encourage candidates and campaigns to do when that's the work that I did to get to a place of understanding. There are very immediate members of my family voted for Donald Trump in 2016. And in 2016, I worked for Senator Sanders on his presidential campaign. And after that, I went on to, I I was a commentator on another network. And I couldn't believe when the members of my family were telling me that they voted for Donald Trump. And so we had conversation about it. But then you turn on the television in some places and spaces and Everyone that supports Donald Trump is racist. Everyone that thinks, and I just think the generalities are unhelpful to everyone. So I would just say for me, I try to get to a place of understanding and I try not to speak in a broad brush strokes. And so like, if you come on my show, you can't say all the Republicans are X, Y, and Z. No, it is some of my Republican friends because (laughs) it is some of my Republican friends. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. CarbonX is an environmental company that aims to empower people to make a positive impact on the planet. They've created a simple platform to help you make up for your carbon emissions by supporting climate-friendly projects. You can earn shareable badges based on how long you've been offsetting, and your subscription will go towards supporting new initiatives and carbon offsetting projects that have been independently verified to have removed CO2 from the atmosphere. You can choose a project that is meaningful to you, such as planting trees in deforested regions of the Amazon and investing in energy-efficient and renewable resources around the world. For the Goop podcast team, CarbonX wanted to cover our team's carbon footprint. They donated a subscription for us to support an energy-efficient cook stoves program in Uganda. To learn more about CarbonX, head to their website at carbonx.com. That's carbon with a K-X.com or download the CarbonX app. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. You know, it's really interesting. I just was having this conversation on the phone with someone before we jumped on about, you know, 
this idea that when something is this really divisive issue, we say like such and such is happening on both sides, on both sides, on both sides. And I was like, we need to replace both sides with all sides because there's five different sides, like within like, and that is actually speaking with nuance on nuanced things. But so it's like, you know, they're, they're like, well, there's something you can say that like, you know, it'll upset one side or the other. And you're like, well, if you're always looking at it as one side or the other in anything, whether that's Republican and Democrat, Israel and Palestine, like the, you know, like pro-police versus like, you know, whatever, like pro-choice versus whatever, all of these things, like every time it's in absolute binaries in this way, like everyone's losing because life just does not look that way. No, and people don't consume information that way. So that's why it's important to just stick to the fact. When you think about this next generation, how do you think they can show up or like, what do you think would help them to feel encouraged? I mean, I feel that like, if there's one thing people get burnt out on really easily, it's politics. And it, and it also seems like, what are those like games you play where it's like, oh, like if you cut off one head, like 30 heads spring up. So it's like every time you feel that you make any type of momentum, it feels that like the mountain you're climbing up while you still have the momentum has somehow gotten taller. So what do you say to encourage not just young people, but anyone to kind of get engaged or stay engaged or as we're coming in, like, I mean, to, to the idea that next year is an election year is so daunting. Right? It's like 2023 came in and didn't even put our purse down. She's like, <laughs> it's like, wow, how long have you been here? You know, Cleo, I think that, first of all, I don't think there's a better time in America to be a, or even in the world, frankly, to be a young person with an idea or a young person that wants to change things, wherever your thing is, because of how interconnected we are and frankly, how technology and social media has helped break down some of the barriers that used to exist so that different voices can now um, spring through. But it's also like, you know, these young people nowadays, they go to school doing active shooter drills. We never had to do that. Like I can't imagine, I cannot imagine the, just the weight that especially like a young person who's in, high school right now, right, feels on a, on a regular basis, let alone a, a middle schooler. And so I would just say that these are, these are difficult times, but I think the world has been through difficult times before, and there will be difficult times again. And I think what's important is to have hope and to understand that nothing in America, at least, has ever changed without the participation of young people. Every single major movement in this country young people have been at the forefront. It's been an intergenerational coalition. And I saw that viscerally in, in my work in politics. And I, I, I see it now. And all of these stories that we're talking about, whether we're talking about the, you know, the gains from the labor movement and the things that have been happening across this country as it relates to working people standing up and claiming their power, women across the country as, as it relates to reproductive health and the current debate was happening on abortion. All of the young people are at the forefront of all of this. And hope is essential. You have to have hope. You have to have hope that there is something on the other side and that there are some good things happening amidst all of this darkness. And that is why I do think that the news is heavy. Everything is so heavy. But we also have to make sure that we are showing the hopeful things, right? There has to be something positive that happened this week. Can And I always say that we're on these calls for the show. And I'm like, isn't there... Isn't there something, anything positive that happened this week? Yeah. And they go find something positive. And I'm like, let's put it in the F block. Put it at the end of the show. Put it here. Because we have to give people hope. Yeah, that's like Mr. Rogers would always say, find the helpers. Yes. Oh, Mr. Rogers. How do you, you know, I think that um the optimism and hope you have isn't really possible without self-care. Because when we're exhausted or burnt out or overtired, we feel really defeated. And it's really hard to have the energy, you know, it's like, you know, I just came off of doing the book tour and like for the week I was home, I was just like depressed because I was just, it was so much energy that I I just had it. I was like, until I could regain and like not stop being so exhausted from, you know, the travel and coming home to my kids who were nuts. It was, you know, it was just so difficult to have that like kind of hope or optimistic where I was just like, wow, this is too much. This is hard. I like don't want to get out of pajamas. 
And then as the days went on and I rested and I started to kind of find ways to build in my own care along the way, I was able to be like, oh yeah, I forgot that like this idea of being able to be hopeful or being able to be optimistic is directly linked to like feeling restored, having energy and giving ourselves care. Because when those things are down, all the things are down. Yeah. So what do you, what do you do? Like, you know, you have such a demanding job. You're I go to the nail shop. (laughs) Simone has the best nails in the game. Everyone should know that about her. Yeah, I go. She, to, I, people come they're to they're a highly expressive artistic experience of hers. Truly, it's my version of a ponytail. Yeah, that and these head wraps. But I mean, truly, I go to the nail shop. I hang out with my friends. I have friends that have nothing to do with media or politics or just you know <laughs> regular people, as I like to say. Yeah, I I I detach, and I just think it's important in everything we do. We have to re what do we my mom always talked about refilling your cup and like you can't pour from an empty cup so one of the ways I refill my cup is I go to the nail shop right like I I make sure I I spend time with my husband where we don't talk about anything that is work-related for either one of us but the crazy the the crazy thing that we saw on TikTok instead yeah yeah so I, I just think those moments finding the little moments of joy and quiet and are there any other boundaries like that where you're like, okay, one way I have self-care is by like boundaries about like when I stop talking about work at the end of the day, are there any other boundaries you put in where, you know, for example, when I'm really tired, I have a boundary of like, which of my friends I can even talk to. Like, cause some <laughs> will just come to you and they have like such high key energy that you're like, I don't actually like when I'm at my most tired, I actually just can't be in this dialogue because you don't deserve it. Like you don't deserve my exhausted lens on this energy because it's it's actually not you. It is me for real. And when I'm at my normal energy and capacity, this is not like rubbing me the wrong way. But if I'm really tired, it is. And that's on me. And so like, so I have boundaries where I'm like, oh no, I'm going to call them next week. <laughs> Do you have any things that are like, whether it's like, oh no, your boundary is like, I have to be in the, be home by this amount of time or this amount of days a week, or I have to make sure I like sit in a restaurant these days a week to just be in the world, decompressing in a social atmosphere. Like what are, do you have anything like that? I think, I think Sean would love for me to want to have to be home at a certain time. When I go to the nail shop, I don't do work at the nail shop. Like I will not take and I, I have been like that since I really got like that when I worked at the White House and I had nails when I worked at the White House and I had a very demanding job when I worked at the White House. I was the um, senior advisor and chief spokesperson for the vice president. And so there were all kinds of calls and emails and things that people needed and reporters. Um, Now colleagues that I work with, they used to call and need things. And my one of my boundaries was I do not do work at the nail shop. And sometimes I'm at the nail shop for two and a half, three hours because I was getting all the things and I've carried that on now. And so, because that is my decompression time. So I, I'm not doing work well, at the nail shop. Cause the thing you realize about, I think working in politics, especially I've observed this with like some of our best girlfriends who work in politics is like, you can't control the pace, but you have some control in off hours of the flow of the pace, like mm-hmm. how, how it flows in and out of like what you're doing. And if, but if you decide that you don't control the pace or the flow, like when and how that like amount of work and how quickly it moves, hits you or, or moves with you, then you really lose yourself. Like I had to have like a come to Jesus with one of our friends and be like, you cannot dress like this anymore. Like, what are you like? This is not self-care. Like these things are falling apart. Like you need to just put on some like clothes and brush your teeth. And like, you are in the world, put deodorant on, like, you know, you really become completely caught up in the demands of the role. And so I feel like, you know, I just wanted to ask you about, have that boundary with you because I feel that there were moments where you got caught up too, because it really is a grind, something that grinds you down. Yeah. And then I oh, noticed I different boundaries at home like when we when sean and i sit down and have dinner together we put the phones down and even if that's just 45 minutes of no phones i know everybody has an email 
if it's yeah. really important, they will they will call three times and then the phone will ring. <laughs> but otherwise, we put the phones down because yeah. we just need time to speak to each of us. And so I, I do that now. Like, obviously, the news is crazy. Sometimes I'm on standby right now because, you know, if something happens in the middle of the night, our time, everyone, lots of anchors are taking different shifts to be on standby. So sometimes I've had the, the privilege of being on standby for 1 a.m., right? So... Yes, if I'm on standby for the 1 a.m., I need to be alert and around in the evening. But is this if this is my 45 minutes or if this is my 30 minutes, I need to be intentional about protecting that time, you know, not scheduling myself crazy. Yeah. I, there, there needs to be a day where I'm not putting on any makeup and I have nobody's TV show to, to no, no one's program to, to appear on. Yeah. Well, Simone, I want to thank you so much for coming on. You are such a light in my life and you're such a light for so many. I mean, I like, I know I joke about my mom being obsessed with you, but it actually just, you know, I just am so proud because she's actually obsessed with somebody who is like so substantive and smart and beautiful and is such like an inspiration for her too. It just makes me proud of her. And it makes me feel that like, she's actually feeding herself like brain food instead of like brain worms. And so I shout out to Lolo. I love you, Lolo, but I do want you to watch less reality TV. And so I, I just want to thank you for all that you do and for really giving such voice and visibility to, to so many young black women everywhere around the world. And for also just changing the game, you know, the news has for a long time needed to look and feel and be different to engage the next generation and engage more people so that we can be more informed and therefore be more active and know more so we can do better. And so I'm really, I'm so grateful that you're leading in this space. I love your show so much and I love you. And I hope that everyone will watch the Simone show, Simone, what, 4 p.m. Eastern on Saturdays and Sundays. Saturdays and Sundays on MSNBC. And for the streamers, I have new episodes every Monday on Peacock. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. Simone, thank you. you. We love love you. I love you. Thank you for tuning in to today's conversation with Simone Sanders. I hope you will tune in to her show, Simone, which airs at 4 p.m. Eastern on Saturdays and Sundays on MSNBC. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Goop Podcast.